Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 106 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, how are you on this fine springy day that I'm still using my winter coat on? You keep bringing up winter coats and spring and I'm stuff. I'm just so people annoyed. People want to hear this. Okay, fine. Let's cut straight to the chase. Something that is very important to both you and I is the idea of intellectual property, right? So we uh, host, record, produce, and essentially create this podcast, which is our little creative baby, right? And you make it sound like it's so much work with the host and create and produce and stuff. Well, look, so like 90% of it is listening to you uh, make your uh, minute decisions that affect your life. Yeah, like cutting you off before when you were starting to bring up the weather and stuff. Yeah, well, you know what? Sometimes you have to get down to brass tacks, Angela, and apparently you are leading the way with this. We have a lot of fun making this show. Uh, there's some work involved. Uh, we do some research. We do some preparation. We do some uh, post-editing. And uh, we put it out Isn't there. Is it all editing post, though? I guess, yeah. All editing is post. You're absolutely right. We kind of self-edit while we're doing the show. We yeah, stop like, each I want to call you so many names, but then I refrain because like, we don't want that explicit tag on there. Well, last week almost earned it. You gave me a lot of work to do with those. Yeah, we talked about animal husbandry. That was fun. But we're here to talk about podcasting. We're a podcast talking about podcasting tonight. So meta. And a lot of stuff's come up in the last few weeks because of one very special app. So let's talk about Luminary, which is the app that you're talking about, right? So this is a $100 million startup that is promising uh, a series of exclusive um, podcasts as well as uh, access. Uh, if you're living, I do believe, in the United States, Canada, the UK, and Australia only um, to regular uh, podcasting feeds. Yes, but they're going about it in a weird way. So like this has been moving so quickly that by the time you hear this, things might have changed again. Initially, they were... Downloading everybody's podcasts, re-encoding it basically, and re-hosting it on their own servers. Yeah, so basically what was happening is that this app would, firstly, uh, the way in which they gain all of our podcasts is that they scraped the Apple directory to find us, right? So um, this was an, an opt-in service. Um, and just as a caveat, right, like we're on Spotify, but we opted in for Spotify, which is sort of similar in the sense that like, yes, there's ad revenue and things like that. And we understand that, but we also decided to be on there. Whereas in this case, we didn't decide anything. Someone grabbed our RSS feed, which is essentially how all of these different apps and things get our podcast, and then put them in the directory. And what happens is, on uh, you know on luminaries when you decide to download an episode of your podcast it mirrors that file so it says okay i'm gonna grab this mp3 and i'm gonna serve it on my side of things which takes out um uh the download stats of of that episode yeah basically looks as if one person downloaded it yeah and then what happens too at the same time is that they sort of try to rectify it but a lot of the uh, much more intelligent people uh, who kind of do this for a living and also who actually do this for a living were explaining that these uh, stats that were going to be handed uh, to these podcasting devices would be garbage because they'd be bot traffic because of the fact that a lot of these would be coming from servers and not from individual users so it, they'd be showing one you know download from wherever but the sad fact remains that that could be like a hundred or a thousand right yeah, it depends on your your show as well. So uh, one of the more vocal people last week was Mark Arman, who's rightfully so vocal about it because he has a successful show and he has arguably the best podcasting app uh, if you have an iOS device. And I've mentioned before, it's Overcast. And we, you were saying, you know, all these apps do get their directory from the iTunes directory. And Apple was in on podcasting early. Like they, podcasting, they didn't invent podcasting, but people called it podcasting because they would be listening to these internet radio shows. They would basically download an MP3 and stick it in iTunes and then they would put it on their uh, iPod. 
Then Apple created this directory to make things easier, but they left it open, surprisingly. Everybody blames Apple for being closed about a lot of things, and they are, but podcasting is not one of them. They were really open about it and didn't try to monetize it at all. They just basically said, yeah, uh, you can use our products, I guess, in in that they let people use their products for it. So like they're monetizing that way. People would buy iPods to listen to it and use iTunes and all that. But they never really charged podcasters anything. You just had to put it on iTunes. And that's a really simple process too. It is. It took us uh, all of uh, 24 hours max, I think, when we applied. But yeah, uh, the good news is that it still seems as though this is an open ecosystem largely aided by Apple, right? Exactly. And what I was saying before is apps like Castro and Overcast and uh, I can't think of any right now because I only just use one, but (laughs) (laughs) they are apps that access this directory, but they just take the RSS feed. The RSS feed points to your file somewhere on the internet, wherever you host it. For example, we host it on Fireside. Whenever somebody takes that file, you can see who downloaded it, sort of. Like you can see where it came from and what app used it to download, but Luminary was not doing this. It was kind of like circumventing the whole system. Yeah, and that's just one of the many grievances that people have. Another big one is that they were stripping uh, HTML links um, from show notes. So, you know, when a podcast is of a certain stature, they'll have, you know, a a lot of ad reads and things like that. And they have links to a lot of the um, things that they're, you know, uh, selling on their um, podcast. And that's how they make money, right? Referral links. And so those were being stripped from the uh, Luminary uh, version of the show notes. And then Luminary was saying in a subsequent tweet earlier last week that, you know, they were doing that because of a worry about user security, which I don't buy at all. But I, I do think, and I was saying this the other day, that it's just a, a ploy to keep you within their ecosystem in order for you to perhaps, and that's the thing too. So there's two tiers to Luminary. There's a free tier with ads. And then for eight bucks a month, you get all this access to all of these um, shows that they've um, signed on. I think there's Russell Brand, there's a Trevor Noah show, but is it really worth eight bucks a month when so many podcasts are free? Also with that, I'd, I'd rather just give creators money. Like I'd rather just go to their Patreon or whatever, which obviously would be in their show notes and just pledge to them directly to let them know that I highly support their work directly. Well, speaking of that, before I forget, uh, plug, 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 you and I were on Our Strange Guys, the Meltdown 3 episode recently, uh, which is only currently available on Patreon. So head on over to Our Strange Guys' Twitter feed to find out how you can sign up for their Patreon and listen to us complain about Jonathan Frakes for about an hour and a half. It's always fun to be on a show with Rob. And we will also throw in the link into the show notes, right, Angela? Of course we will. There we go. What Luminary is doing is like they seem to have this weird idea that they want to be like the Netflix of podcasting. And that's what's something that's coming up a lot right now is like, who's going to be the Netflix of podcasting, the YouTube of podcasting? That's I hate that. I hate those terms so much. The Uber of X. Who cares? Yeah. Like these disruptors are actually turning out to be quite um, problematic in their own right. So, I mean, like case in point, Luminary, you know, in this instance. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of, in the last few weeks, a lot of my favorite podcasters have talked about this. Uh, like I mentioned, Mark Arment before he mentioned all this on ATP. He's, he's like us. He, he'd rather just support indie podcasts and either smaller networks like Relay FM, which is just two guys own that and they, they have a really good set of shows or independent podcasts like our friend Rob, who does our strange guys and our friends are not alone. Very successful shows, but they're also independent. They, they're not paid by this giant faceless corporation who's what how much vc money do they get a million hundred million dollars hundred million dollars uh but yeah uh, you also have a link in the show notes to a daring fireball article from john gruber that i thought was really interesting because it is kind of describes you know and kind of goes through the definition of what is a podcast and through that definition 
um, you know, Luminary isn't a podcast. No, not at all. He he sets it out really well. As he says in his article, a podcast to me is a series of audio episodes available over the web. Uh, at a technical level, it's an RSS feed, and the RSS feed has entries for each episode, and each episode has links to the actual audio file. Suffice it to say, like, uh, the backlash here isn't minimal, and it's by a lot of people who feel very strongly about the art of podcasting and how to keep podcasting uh, free and out in the wild. Podcast is like the last, like, remnants of, like, the wild west of the internet, almost, where you just kind of put something out there, and maybe 10 people listen to it, maybe 200 people listen to it, or maybe 200,000 people listen to it, and you can just be some person just talking to their friend over Skype and recording it. And then some people listen to it like you're doing right now, unless you're getting bored of all this podcasting talk and listening to podcasts talking about podcasting. Double density. I've been doing a lot of thinking and a question that comes up regularly and something that you ask me is, you know, when your computer breaks, uh, Ryan, what are you going to do about it? What's the next Mac you're going to get? And I may actually try and build myself a Hackintosh laptop, my friend. I'm knock on wood lucky enough to have a relatively new Mac that's working okay. Your Mac's starting to get a little old. A little long in the digital tooth, yes. So uh, I'm going to link everyone to a Motherboard article in the show notes all about how uh, it's kind of like a diary of how to build a Hackintosh laptop because originally a lot of the uh, Hackintoshes were actually just desktops, right? But now with the emergence of different processors available uh, you know, on PCs, there is a way in which you can create a pretty solid hackintosh laptop to use and you know kind of asterisks on this like we're not going to talk about the ethical implications of like installing um software like that on a machine that isn't supposed to have it um just the idea of like the the technical aspects of it it's really interesting and also really daunting Uh, i like to consider myself a bit like a savvy with this stuff and i don't know if i would uh, embark on the journey brian i'm not quite sure i'd want to I've had two friends do it. Well, no, sorry. One friend, one coworker do it. Um, it's been a wild ride. It's been an interesting ride, but you actually get to appreciate how a computer works that much more when you get done with it too. And the thing is that we keep talking about is that, you know, Mac desktops aren't super expensive, but I don't want a desktop at this juncture, right? I'd much prefer a laptop based on my living space. And for the price I'm going to pay, I'd rather try and build something myself. Yeah. If you want a laptop, Apple, and we've said this like for the last year, Apple's recent laptops are not their best that they've done, mainly because of that keyboard. If that keyboard didn't give everybody the problems it gives, they're actually good laptops. But it seems but like... price point-wise, what do you think? I, I think the MacBook Air is fair price. It's, it's right. fairly the, priced. The, for, so for the price of an Air, you can actually build you know, a Pro. Yeah. Or like something similar to a Pro. But will it look as nice as a MacBook Air? Who cares? I mean, at one point, like aesthetically speaking, like is it really that bothersome that like the keyboard is a little bit different, right? But do you want like the old style USB or do you want to just have the new one where you'll have to have dongles everywhere? Because dongles are really cool, Brian. (laughs) Well, you can actually like kind of customize that too, right? So there's some Thunderbolts, there's some USB-Cs available too. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just being silly because... I know. There are limitations with Apple's laptop and I keep worrying that my wife's MacBook Air that's from 2011 will break down we would probably go with the MacBook Air. I don't, like, I just worry about that keyboard, right? Like, nobody wants their space bar giving you two spaces when you just want one. Yeah, it's very, very troublesome. And that's the thing I like about my iMac. Like, if this keyboard breaks, which, actually, if they could just put this keyboard in the in the laptops, we'd be happy, because this keyboard's great. I have the Magic Keyboard, and it's really good. I feel like you're crossing the line into, like, fanboyism again. No, 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 no. Daydreaming about the ultimate Mac? 
You know what? I don't care about that stuff as much anymore. I do like the iMac, and I do think the iMac. <laughs> Welcome a good to value. our dystopian future, my friend. So going back to this Hackintosh thing, is there something you would foresee as being the biggest problem? Getting it to run, <laughs> like flashing the BIOS properly, getting all the the terminal commands working and understanding what the parameters are and things like that. Like the more technical stuff, like I understand it, but until I put it into action, I can't really um, tell you how it's going to work out necessarily, right? And the, I guess the worst case scenario would be that you end up being stuck with a Windows 10 machine. Yeah, like I do a hard reboot on everything, yeah. And then you would take that and throw it in the trash and go and buy a real uh, Apple <laughs> laptop. Uh, I mean, like, I, we haven't really talked about this, but like, uh, you know, Apple consumption really is a classist problem, right? Yeah, a little bit. I, I And I, again, I joke about higher it. Bar- high, higher barrier to entry and things like that, right? They kind of make these computers almost on purpose to be more expensive, right? Because well, yeah, of course. I mean, like that's the whole brand identity. Like my my iMac doesn't need to be aluminum, right? It doesn't need yeah. that, but it is. It doesn't need to all be in one screen, but it is. They don't need to make the MacBook Pros out of like what they use one slab of machined aluminum. They don't have to do that. They can make it out of plastic, but they don't do that because they want to use these high end things. It's like people often say, "Well, you can buy a BMW, or you could buy." Like a Lada or something, right? But it's wow. Very, uh, it, does Lada even exist still? Hold on, let me Google this. I think they do. I was watching Formula One this weekend, and they were in Azerbaijan, and they uh, they were having like a Lada meetup. Have we talked about uh, my experience with the Lada? No, eh? no, we have not. Are we going to save it for another show? No, no. It was just super briefly, I, I had a um, I had a neighbor who's like uh, early. His son, their son, was like in the early twenties, and they had, he had a lot of sitting, uh, like uh, you know, in the driveway for years and years that he would try to tinker with, and it would never, ever, ever work because it was a lot of. Yeah, I know. And <laughs> so for for me, that's always just stuck in my mind is like the idea of a lot of is just a car that sits, you know, on your driveway that <laughs> some guy uses as a hobby that never gets to work. Kind of like uh, you know, a failed Hackintosh almost, or sort of like any uh, Windows PC. Well, Angela, may you find a pot of gold at the end of your, uh, you know, Mac rainbow. And with that, I think it's time that we move on to the paranormal section. Let's hack and toss our way there. Wow. Hello? I'm a computer. I'm a computer guy. Everything made out of buttons and wires. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density, and as always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So the first item on the docket this week is a political article entitled U.S. Navy Drafting New Guidelines for Reporting UFOs. Now, Angela, before I go any further, we have to note this week is a very, quote-unquote, news-heavy week in terms of the items presented, right? Yeah, and there's some interesting stuff, and it'll lead us in some interesting directions because it kind of fits into the topic we wanted to talk about this week, so it worked out perfectly. So the uh, first thing to note is that the title is kind of clickbait, right? Even for Politico, U.S. Navy drafting new guidelines for reporting UFOs. But UFOs in this instance actually does mean flying aircraft, not necessarily a keyword for, uh, you know, alien craft, right? Well, it's something we always like to comment on and mention that a UFO is not necessarily an alien aircraft. And uh, this is from Politico. We, I keep saying political, but it's from Politico. Politico. I'd say Politico is a little bit of a, a less... Uh, weird website than some of the ones we go to, uh, which, for example, will be later in our show notes, as you'll see if you look at your podcast player of choice. It's important to always note that, yes, uh, people have made UFO synonymous with alien aircraft, but 
in the Navy's parlance here, it just means unidentified fly object. And they also use the term UAP in the article, which I can't stand because it sounds pretentious, but UAP stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. Could we pronounce it HWAP? Sure. UFOs and WAPs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but to note, I mean, there's a very kind of uh, basic and easy way in which to explain how this makes sense on a rational level in that, like, how, there are no, you know, um, formal guidelines apparently in place to report strange aircraft, which could be, you know, foreign nations experimental aircraft that they're working on, right? Well, I think that's what the Navy is concerned about. And the problem is because of what UFOs have become, there's a stigma attached to reporting one and people don't end up reporting it. And it could be something actually important and not just like debris from the sky or aliens going and kidnap somebody. Something uh, to note very quickly, though, is that so the second half of the article kind of devolves uh, into something that, you know, you need to talk about when you uh, are part of the popular discourse in 2019 about UFOs and UAPs and Little Green Men. And that is, of course, To the Stars Academy. So Chris Mellon and Luis Elizondo are both quoted in the article. They're both To the Stars folks. And um, so there's a lot of like quotes from them towards the bottom talking about, you know, the USS Nimitz and uh, other things like that. But the first half of the article, I feel, kind of makes a really compelling case about just how um, these uh, sorts of uh, regulations need to change anyway regardless of whether or not you want to talk about ufos as aliens or ufos as you know a, a ground and man created objects well elizondo is is mentioned in the article as saying that the pentagon has been too blasé uh, about how they approach this topic but he seems to he wants to believe right and he's in the news now because there's going to be that documentary series which is also mentioned in the article which makes me think that this article sort of like uh, promoting that for sure. This is why this article's out. Uh, no mention, though, of Tom DeLong. I guess he's kind of like fallen more to the back uh, back burner in terms of being mentioned when To the Stars Academy is mentioned. Well, I mean, his band Angels and Airwaves just released a new song recently, right? So I think his focus might be on a little bit there, and he's serving more in the executive producer role, I think, for the um, for the documentary, from what I understand, of the documentary series. On the History Channel, uh, I think, right? That's what the plan is? Probably after Ancient Aliens. I don't know. I've never watched that. And American time. Pickers. Remember we talked about that? The lineup, American Pickers, Ancient Aliens. Yeah. Et cetera, uh, et cetera. Maybe I'll see if I can find it somewhere on the internet, off the back of a truck or something. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> it could be a good call. But anyways, it's it's super fascinating to, to sort of uh, think about this in very realistic terms. I mean, good on the Navy for recognizing that there is a threat that needs to be addressed, or at least cataloged, right? Yeah, that's the important thing to take away from this is that it's the Navy is actually taking this seriously, but not because they think we're being visited by aliens, but they think that it's important for uh, people in the Navy to actually not feel weird about saying that they saw some sort of unidentified object. They're going to say, okay, noted, important that we know this, maybe it's the Russians. I mean, uh, you know, uh, two fans of capital D disclosure, uh, this is, you know, huge inroads because there's an inference here that uh, that will lead to an explanation and um, an uptake in reports about actual little green men, UFOs and WAPs. That's that's borderline <laughs> derogatory toward me as an Italian. Uh, true, true. But you have papers, so you're fine. Double density. That kind of leads us into the uh, the main topic of what we want to talk about this week is that the Navy has also uh, applied for patents for a triangle-shaped flying object, uh, which resembles a uh, long-standing sort of UFO that people have been reporting for decades, if not centuries. I, I have to say I did take offense to... Um, one of the headlines in the article where it resembles a flying saucer UFO. 
it does not resemble the classic flying saucer shape. It, resemb- it resembles the classic black triangle shape. Right. This is me being a pedantic UFO nerd. No, but that's fine. I think that's a very good point in that uh, it's one or the other, not both. Exactly. Uh, black triangle is a black triangle. A flying saucer is a flying saucer. Exactly. Uh, it looks it, like a saucer skipping along the river or whatever uh, Kenneth Arnold said. <laughs> and never the twain shall meet except for intergalactic battle, right? That would be kind of cool to see. <laughs> yeah, of course you'd say that. Anyways, uh, th- this is the really interesting times, right? So the idea of this, um, you know, uh, black triangle UFO, which you, uh, if you head on over to the metro.co.uk link, you can see some of the uh, the patented images here. Um, from the bottom, though, it kind of looks like one of those uh, Star Wars uh, Star Destroyers. A little bit. Could it be the Star Destroyer-sized UFO we saw a few weeks ago in Michigan? Maybe not. Oh, perhaps not, my friend. Uh, but yeah, so uh, according to this patent, uh, the idea is that the ship can be used in water, air, and perhaps even in space. There's not a ton known about the um, the uses or even if the U.S. government has actually built one, right? Because when you apply for a patent, it's not necessarily that you uh, have built this prototype, but it's the intention that is that you want to go ahead and do that. Yeah, we see this all the time with Apple stuff, right? Apple applies for patents for all kinds of stuff, and then everybody analyzes them thinking this is their their next big thing, but then it never comes out. Like, they have a patent for a touchscreen Mac, I think, and that's never going to come out according to what they've been saying now. A couple of things about this article. Uh, first of all, when you link to it from our show notes, beware, put on your ad blocker, because that site's full of ads. Uh, also, could they not get a better picture of Nick Pope? They probably pulled that from MySpace. Sorry, no, they literally pulled it from Flickr. Okay, well, there you go. That's not a very good picture of him. No, not at all, unfortunately. Um, But I mean, uh, Nick Pope uh, did make a really interesting observation that I thought too is that it kind of reminded me of the the USS Nimitz uh, video uh, from uh, 2004, right? I think it's 2004. Yeah, it's 2004. Yeah, which came to light um, at the end of 2017 with all the two-star stuff. There you go. See, like the flat is a time circle and we're just, you know, uh, linking everything to everything and nothing is nothing, right? I'd like to say like Nick Pope is one of the more like cogent ufologists out there. He did work uh, for uh, the Ministry of Defense uh, in the UK. So obviously he's he's a professional when it comes to this and he doesn't make these outlandish claims. So that's always good to to note with him. So like when it's coming from him, I... I feel like he, he's got a good head on his shoulders. Of course, people will always say he's a disinformation agent because he doesn't take a uh, radical approach to this. No, and uh, I feel like if he were a disinfo agent, it would be much more a hard line. But maybe that's the thing is he's trying to gain sympathy and uh, make us think a certain way. But I actually don't believe uh, in, in much. I don't put much stock in that. But uh, coming back to the black triangle at hand, my friend, uh, it's very interesting. Um, I mean, there's been a long history of uh, reports of black triangles, right? Especially uh, within the last like 30 or 40 years. My belief is that these are, you know, the, the, the black triangles that have been seen have been, you know, skunk works. There are two like really good UFO, uh, dare I say, stories that come out where the black triangles featured and that one of them is the Phoenix Lights where people saw this huge craft. It had, what, five lights underneath and it blocked out stars and clouds and all that. I still think they were flares that people saw, but... Uh, and once again, the, but I mean, my, my argument to that is that like uh, flares don't move like that naturally, but uh, that is not the subject of our uh, discussion tonight either. No, no. I, the, the main thing that people saw were the flares, but this, what people saw in the sky before, which no one got any video of. They had, there's plenty of video of the flares, but there's no video of this. It was likely what you said, some sort of military aircraft. And the much longer 
episode of this was in Belgium, where lots of people saw lots of triangles in the sky. And it was over a course of a long time, right? Several months, if not over a year or two? Yeah. So there were several groups in 1989 who did see things, especially, um, and, and there were military members involved in these sightings too, right? In terms of radar and visual. Um, though that is hotly debated as to what they actually saw. There's some arguments to be made that there, uh, some people were saying that these were helicopters flying in formation, but then again, like helicopters make sound at the height in which they were flying. Um, there's a lot of like nuances to these stories. And I, I tend to actually largely, uh, believe that, you know, the Belgian wave of 1989 is one of the more careful UFO uh, incidents um, sustained. So it's interesting to see that like the two incidents in which these have been brought up are, are two that we've uh, recently discussed too. The Belgium one is one that sticks out in my mind. First of all, because not a lot of people talk about it. And I think we want to do uh, an episode on it more in depth in the coming weeks, I would say. Right, Brian? Yeah, I would also love to uh, just link everyone to the Unsolved Mystery segment because the reenactments and the uh, really, really uh, prototypical uh, uh, computer graphics used to display these UFOs is so good. That's uh, where I first heard about them uh, when I was a kid. So, of course, it, it freaked me out, which uh, I guess anytime I talk about Unsolved Mysteries, I can say I got freaked out. The thing is, is people don't seem to talk about black triangles as much as they used to. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I do they've agree lo- that they've waned in popularity. I do feel like a quick Google search would suggest that there is regular mentions of uh, black triangle UFOs. Um, I mean, like in the nineties, the big thing too, too was like the, the black helicopters, right? Just, you know, to keep on the, the topic of like black uh, government craft. Yeah. But that was more conspiracy theorists worried that somebody was watching them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the black triangles yes, are spraying their crops actually. Oh yeah, exactly. And it's also possible that the black triangles weren't exactly a craft in the sense of the word that they were like airplanes and stuff. They could have been giant blimps. Yeah, uh, sure. Why not? I do believe that these were actual crafts. Um, and something that would uh, point to that is a patent that I found from 1977, patent number 4,019,699 for an aircraft of low observability. Now, Angela, when I showed you these, uh, the resemblance to the patent that was uh, submitted by the Navy is kind of striking in some ways. It's very similar. It's a little different in, in some ways, but it's it's along the same lines. The 1977 craft is like much fatter, you know, when you look at it sideways. Um, but, you know, from above, they kind of look very, very similar. Yeah, they're triangles. And it basically looks like a giant wing. Yeah, exactly. And it's shaped like a wing, too, like where it, it bulges up on the top. So... I would wonder, though, how silent could these things possibly or or are they so big that they're far up in the sky where you can't hear them, but they just look so huge? Like, you know, when you see a jet flying above you, right? You don't hear it at all. Exactly. You just see the contrails as, as it's spraying out the chemicals to mind control you. <laughs> right. And like, cause I see that a lot over my area, which is why I'm so skeptical, right? They've controlled me. And uh, I live underneath, like, a, I guess, uh, is that like a highway in the sky, you would call it? Yeah, Since a flight path. Yeah, it, it's a... It's it's a major flight path for sure. So two questions for you um, before I forget. One, am I passing the all-in baton to you now, my friend, for 2019? No, you know, I'm just joking. Uh, no, uh, you're not. Oh, maybe. <laughs> they're they're silent, right? You see these airplanes and they're, they're silent. So imagine like a craft that's way bigger than those. Then you can see these black triangles. I have yet to see one though, Brian. 
For sure. I mean, uh, so this 1977 pad was submitted by Ryan Aeronautics. Who knows if it was actually built, right? We're not quite sure about that. If we were to believe a lot of what people are reporting and have reported throughout the last decades, especially from the 1970s onwards, there have been attempts to build a triangle-shaped aircraft. And I guess the uh, question I have now is, like, why uh, patented at this stage, right? Yeah, at this point, who knows what the military has anyway, like... So the the one that was talked about in the article, when did the patent? When was that patent filed? Uh, Two thousand sixteen. Oh, okay, so it's pretty recent. I think if you just change one little thing, right? Don't you have to patent that again? Right, but what they're trying to say is that like this is like a brand new kind of patent that appeared in twenty sixteen out of nowhere, pretty much. Who knows? They're they're trying to see what the Russians are up to at this point. Oh, hey, as of today, the patent status is expired on the older aircraft. Do you want to build one with me? Is it as of today exactly? <laughs> that would be really weird. I, I'm not sure it's as of today or like to like a tie to today's date. I'm kind of curious. I'll find that out uh, soon enough. Um, a, a couple of other things to note too, right? Is that like uh, skunk works aren't anything new, right? So let's talk about like two of the more famous secret quote unquote aircrafts that have sort of like um, come out as actually existing. The U-2 spy plane, right? Yeah. And the SR-71. Is that the way you were going to say? That is exactly what I was about to say. The US uh, SR-71, which actually, you know, if you close your eyes and looked at it quickly from the bottom, kind of looks like a triangle. Very much so. Uh, that was the uh, aircraft I wanted the most when I used to play with G.I. Joe's and uh, Cobra had one and I got one. I remember buying it. It was very cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm glad that you snuck that in there. But yeah, so the idea of, you know, um, Skunk Works turning into actual projects uh, is a thing that exists, right? As uh, you know, to the surprise of no one. You, you know what else exists, Brian? What? Some really interesting questions from Above Top Secret that you pointed me to. Well, before that, I kind of just wanted to make one other kind of uh, quick point is that the uh, flight triangle is also associated with the tier, uh, the tier 3A Black Manta, right? So that's a surveillance aircraft. Is that a, that's the stealth one? Yeah. And so the idea behind that is that there's no actual um, patents behind it, but it is something that uh, people who have worked for different government offices claims to exist, um, though evidence is a little bit scarce, officially speaking. But if you head on over to YouTube and try to, you know, uh, uh, type in those search terms, you will find a lot of videos all about uh, purported sightings and even some sighting footage. But now, yeah, let us get to above top secret. So uh, I found a thread from 2016 that made me laugh a lot, um, asking kind of like very rhetorical questions about what black triangle UFOs could be. So I'm going to read through a couple and I want you to think about them. Okay. Great. Are they flying computer servers? Who knows what Google has in store for us? Maybe they're by Facebook. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put it past them. Are they mobile warfare and network machines? I guess that's along the same lines as the computer servers. Correct. Uh, are they giant blankets to block enemy satellite viewing? It made me laugh because it, it, it made me picture like something all warm and cuddly up in the sky. <laughs> like a giant net? Yeah. Angelo, do these black triangle UFOs capture dreams? So that one came out of nowhere because the first <laughs> yes, three were very much along the same lines. And then the do they capture dreams thing was completely out of left field. So the next couple made me laugh even more. Are they a graduated MK Ultra mind control project? Still, yeah. They're, so they capture your dreams and then they throw them back at you to control you. Are they using chemicals on people, Angelo? We've already established that, yes. They're flying and throwing out uh, chemtrails. Are they spacecraft? And note the word spacecraft, not aircraft. That one's actually sort of plausible. Why are they reported over cities and highways frequently? Why are they over your house, Angelo? Why are they reported over highly populated areas frequently and not over non-populated areas? 
<laughs> oh, it's almost like you're trying to suggest some kind of causality between population density and uh, setting numbers. Yeah, who knows? Like this, yeah, in the middle of nowhere, uh, nobody sees them because nobody's there. But when there's people to see something, they see it. Are we playing with anti-gravity, but it's not weaponized, and that's why we never hear about them in war zones? That is actually two sentences, but uh, merged into one thanks to this poster. Well, they talk about the anti-gravity in the article we mentioned earlier, uh, that they're surrounded by this anti-gravity thing. Uh, so maybe, but uh, that and cold fusion all at the same time. And finally, if we're testing exotic propulsion systems, why is it within the planetary bounds? Because that's where we can best test it. And uh, my friends, there's a ton of really great uh, doctored pictures uh, in the thread. There's one in particular, a couple of uh, posts down that uh, have you. So uh, do you have the thread open, my friend? Yeah, I'm looking at uh, at this. Um, the Jason 88 post. Yes, Jason 88 with the uh, no idea what this source is, but it fits most descriptions out there. Honestly, it kind of looks like a Dorito. With uh, lights on it. Yeah, exactly. Is that a real picture, you think? Or is that uh, faked? It's absolutely real. All in 2019, Brian's back, guys. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, mystique surrounding the Black Triangle UFO because it's one of those that, um, um, unlike the classic saucer shape, that's more attached to the idea of, you know, the exotic other off-worldly alien. This is more so an idea of a secret uh, man-made project, I think, that like is kind of like the consensus amongst people over the last couple of decades, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, um, so wait, I haven't established though exactly what do you think it is? I think it's government skunk work. Honestly, quite literally, I think that like all this is government skunk works from the... Okay, so you're not being crazy all in, Brian, right now. Well, I am. It's just like, what are the... Like, so I think there's like two kind of paths here. Like, wh- why do they exist and what do they do? Right? So like, why do they exist? I'm not sure. Well, you know, and what are they? Well, it's a skunk work, but like maybe it's mind control. Maybe, you know, it's, it is chemtrails. Yeah, it, look, it could be all kinds of different things. Uh, I'm leaning also towards skunk works and military because... All these people can't be lying about what they saw and misidentifying like airplanes, right? Somebody would have figured it out at that point. So it's probably something kind of interesting. Also, a couple of points, right? Straight up, like you learn your shapes early on in life. You know what a triangle looks like. It looks like a Dorito. Uh, correct. Uh, and That's then something I interesting. All my all my shapes was via <laughs> chips. <laughs> well, how did you learn squares and rectangles then? Crackers. Oh, good point. Uh, something that I kind of quickly wanted to mention, if we want to get real weird with it, right, is like, uh, so triangle shapes, right? The shape of a triangle also appears uh, in the form of a pyramid, right, Angelo? So pyramid, Illuminati. The eyeball on the dollar. Things to think about. You know, the lights on these, uh, you know, triangle UFOs kind of look like eyeballs, too. Oh, you could you can start a thread on Above Top Secret with that and get all kinds of people in. I'm not going to do that. Uh, that is the work of uh, better people than I, but there's a lot of really interesting kind of like a theoretical stuff you can kind of say about the Illuminati and, uh, you know, uh, how these kinds of projects are the byproduct of a one world government looking to uh, control uh, masses in different ways. And that is done through technologies such as black triangle UFOs. Well, they are flying servers stealing our dreams. Do you think so, you know, given the talk that we had at the beginning of the paranormal segment about the Navy calling them, you know, UFOs and WAPs, um, do you feel like we should call this a craft and not a UFO, like a black triangle craft now that there's a patent out for it? There's been, you know, there's that 1977 patent. Like, what do you think? I think that's fair. Also, I've done a bit of research and I haven't found a lot about um, uh, actual aliens coming out of black triangle UFOs. They sort of remain as being more man-made than aliens. I think even... Uh, like true believers kind of think these are like a shady government project as opposed to aliens visiting us. Which is kind of interesting a lot of the time when you think that like uh, this, I do believe this is a very trustful nature. Yeah, everybody knows aliens come in round craft. 
<laughs> like, you want to know where an alien comes well, no, in? That's not true Just at all. look at your show art right now on your uh, podcast player of choice. That's what a UFO looks like. What if the cigar-shaped UFO, Angelo? It's that well, they're cigar-shaped when they're moving very quickly or sort oh, of I going see. through wormholes. Right, of course. Stupid me. How did I, you know, misfigure that one out? Sorry, Brian. You'll learn. Anyways, I think this is a great place to end episode 106 of the Double News Podcast with, you know, the notion of a black triangle aircraft. Yeah, this was a real bread and butter uh, episode where we talked about podcasting because that's something we love. And UFOs. <laughs> and <the> UFOs. <laughs> yeah, very, very, uh, very much in our wheelhouse tonight. We'd love to hear everyone's thoughts about black triangle aircrafts. You know, the U.S. Navy policies on uh, UFOs, HWAPs, and, uh, you know, uh, basic uh, exotic aircraft of a terrestrial nature. You can head on over to Twitter at double underscore density, Instagram at double density podcast. You can head over also to double density.net. You can click on the contact button, send us a quick email. Also, by the way, like, I don't know if you know this, Angela, but like once daily, we now get spam about sexy girls in your area. Oh, really? I haven't been looking at, uh, at, at our email. It's been pretty tense. Brian is the VP of... Uh of outreach and uh, mail acquisition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah talent acquisition. Yes. You can also email us at double density podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts directly. Uh, please don't send us spam. No, but spam's fun sometimes. Yes, but not all of the time as in daily sexy girls in your area. No, no. Also like a lot of talk about cryptocurrency, but like it's really weird. And that's like make a thousand dollars with crypto, but it doesn't explain how you got to click on the obviously uh, not uh, clean URL. You haven't clicked on it yet? No. Don't you want to make money from crypto? That's like a weekend thing for me. Like weekend Brian loves to click on all the emails. Are you going to approach your fiance um, that as your honeymoon, you guys are going to be making some money from crypto? Yeah. I'm going to also tell her about the 60 girls in my area. Great. That'll go over well, Brian. So Angela, next week, I can show you the world shining, shimmering, splendid. See you there. Is Will Smith our guest? I have some tech support to go do. Give me a second. Sure. A return to innocence. In your butt. Licking your butt. That's what you're doing. You're licking your butt. So if you're reading this, I've been replaced by aliens.